everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where it was 43 degrees today in New York City when I woke up. That's right, folks. Boots are still upon us. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, lover of winter, and general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here right after Allison and right before Nachum's live lunch. Avrami is here behind the board. Good morning, Avrami. Boker Toe. How are you? How was your uh, commute? It was uh, very good. Everything was good. Honestly, I'm not a big fan of the cold, but uh, as long as it's not raining and it's mild like it is, I'm happy. All is well. Yes. Thank God all is well. I call this um, identity crisis day kind of a thing. When you're on the subway, you're on the train, you see people dressed in everything from down coats to flip-flops. That was the Long Island Railroad this morning. I think everyone was just satisfied with the fact that the Long Island Railroad was actually running this morning, so no one was complaining about anything else. Of course, when you arrive in Penn Station, you know, it's like... uh, Lord of the Flies in there. But at least the trains were running this morning. So my thanks to everyone who showed up to work. Uh, yeah, it's, it's May the 4th, right? So Be with you. Yeah, so it's Star Wars Day, except there's this PSA going around where Star Wars, like the, the people that are Star Wars or that is Star Wars, don't want you calling it Star Wars Day. I don't know. David Greenfield, uh, Councilman David Greenfield, posted something on his Twitter account. I haven't gotten a chance to look at it, but evidently there's something about the fact that they don't—they'd they, prefer you leave it alone. I'm not sure what's going Who on. Who made it up to them? <laughs> I don't know, but you and your whole intergalactica thingy that you're doing—what's it called again? The space star. The oh yeah, yeah, the um, Beit Kochav Chaim. Right, which to those people <laughs> who aren't familiar is the. Oh yes, that's the Lego. There was a um, the Death Star. The Death Star, right? So there was a crowd fund in order to uh, acquire the Death Star and then uh, turn it into a uh, shul, a synagogue, a uh, a place of holiness uh, for the uh, for the Brick of Vicar Hasidim, and uh, it is going well. You know, there's a little bit of union trouble, so. Uh, the construction is a little bit slow, but uh, we are, you know, it's it's a process. Right. If people have a clue what Avrami's talking about, great. If not, you can check. We'll repost the story. It came up again last week or two weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, we're going to, once we're going to take some pictures on different stages and so on, and then you'll see. Um, in short, yeah. in short, Avrami's building a Lego. My son. My yeah, son. Whatever. I am not. You, <laughs> this is like when you have to help your kids with their book reports. I didn't do it. He did it. Yeah. You and Toby was, are going to no. be building a Lego <laughs> Death Star. I don't even know what it means. I was very skeptical from the beginning, I have to say, uh, about the whole thing. But but, uh, but Toby, who's, uh, who's my wife, really was encouraging my son to do this. He wanted something. And she says, well, you want it? Then you have to work out a way to earn it and start a process. And uh and they did it, and so I helped when I could, but uh, even till the last minute, I was like, wow, is this going to work? What's going to be? So will we have room for this thing in our house? Uh- <laughs> no. The answer is no. I don't even, I, I mean, we can talk about it. I think we should talk about it more during the live lunch, so I'll hold off on discussing this a little bit further. Uh, and between now and then, we'll try and get a picture up, or at least the article. You know what? If you can get a picture and put it in the back end for the la- live lunch, that'd be great. Okay. All right. Um, so, yeah, it has something to do with Star Wars Possibly Day. It's also National Day of Prayer, National Day of Reason. It's also National Life Insurance Day. Folks, if you don't have life insurance, you really should, but that's another story for another day possible. Uh, It's also Petite and Proud Day, which I have to say I've never been called petite in my entire life, Um, but I'm happy that if you are vertically challenged and a size zero that you're proud of it. I get it. That's fine. Um, Anyway, you're listening to That's Live here at the Knock Up Single Network, and my first guest joins us right now. 
Alex Rosenberg joins us from Israel. He plays for Maccabi Kiryat Gat Basketball Club, but he is originally from Milburn, New Jersey, played for Columbia University, and is now one of Nefesh Benefesh's proud new Olim. Good morning, or I should say good afternoon, Alex. Thank you. Good morning, Miriam. Thanks for joining me. Tell me, you're going into practice, you're before practice, you're starting practice. Where are you right now? So currently it's 4.30 in the afternoon. Uh, we had shoot-around this morning at 10.30, and then we have a game tonight against Hulone at around 7.30. So I'll be leaving here shortly after this call, actually. Excellent. Cool. So I don't, want, I don't want to hold you up too much. Don't want to make you late for practice. That's got to be bad. Uh, so tell me, you made Aliyah, which um, you know has a story in and of itself, but um, you have been a new Oles since when? Just this year, right? Yeah, since I think I came up here August 29th. So I've been here almost eight months or so, and, uh, and it's, been, it's been a great time. And did you finish playing at Columbia, or you left before you graduated? Yes, I finished. So I uh, I played my first three years, and then uh, my senior year I went down with injury in October. And there's some uh, some rules that in the Ivy League that are different than most other conferences. So I was forced to take a full year off, and then I finished my uh, my senior year last last fall, last uh, spring. So if you hadn't gone to an Ivy, they would have let you play, huh? <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't have had to withdraw from school completely. It was a whole debacle, and I'm glad to be done with that. No, I'm sure you are. And so from what I read from Josh Halleckman, the sports rabbi, who originally brought you to my attention, I appreciate him for that, it was your injury that sort of sidelined you from, you know, every basketball player's dream of playing in in the NBA. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, to put it frank, that's kind of what happened to some extent. I had a... I had a great junior year, and uh, so did our team at Columbia, and that was 2013-2014, and then uh, we had high hopes for the following year. I went down with injury and uh, kind of derailed a lot of things because it wasn't just the injury, it was more that it didn't, didn't heal great, and so uh, I was forced, instead of sitting out for about three or four months, I was out for about eight months. Wow. We're talking like completely immobilized, wasn't able to do much, and so, um, you know, then came back last year and actually our our team club university basketball team had one of the best years in school history with 25 wins and you know it was great uh we won the cit championship so um you know i've obviously no regrets there um and then i actually ended up getting hurt again uh during the season but i, I came back so it's, it's been up and down but i think overall it ended up great for for our team and for the fans. No, and it sounds like great for you. I mean, it, it may not have been an initial dream of yours to live in Israel and, and fulfill that destiny, but it seems like everything has really worked out in your favor. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. I, I didn't think about uh, playing in Israel immediately after college, and then uh, when I had a lot of agents reaching out to me, they all said, you know, Israel would be a great place to start your career. And, um, you know, just, just going by how it's gone so far, I, I agree with them. I think there's a great league out here, and the lifestyle is, is great as well. That's fantastic. There's, uh, you, you know, you're a, uh, you're a typical New Jersey boy, grown up, born in, uh, and, and bred in Milburn, New Jersey. Did you always have sights set on going to an Ivy, or just, you know, everything sort of fell into place? That's a great question. I. You know, my my dad actually was. You know, when we were young. He said, you know, you want to play at a Duke or a big school. And for me, I, I just wanted to play at a school 
that had great academics and, and great basketball. So, you know, whether, whatever, you know, level that was, um, Division One, Two, II, or Three, um, you know, I kind of, I kind of hoped for Division One, and you know, after not receiving many offers in, in high school, uh, I ended up going to prep school for a year at the Petty School in, in Heightstown, New Jersey. Right. And that's when things really started to develop, and I was able to get a lot of offers. And uh, even you know, among all the offers that I received, Columbia University just stood out the most because you know they obviously have um, incredible institution, you know, academically and. And their basketball team was was doing well, and I felt like it was a team that I could come to and, and really help out and and take it to the next level. And, and that's kind of it's kind of what I did for you know over my four years, and, and obviously with tremendous teammates and coaches and and the athletic team there. So um, you know, I just I'm glad I was there because I'm also you know very close to my family, so they were able to attend every game, which was great. Yeah, I'm sure that that was a huge plus going to Duke. Or you know, going to uh, to some other university that is not as conveniently located near Milburn, New Jersey, you lose that connection from home. So you have the the greater Jewish community that is now your new you know your your new family, so to speak, in Kiryat Gat. How well have you been received by your teammates? I'm sure that the language barrier was probably an issue, but I'm sure that the the warmth that you felt in the in the basketball community and the community itself is probably making up for it. Yeah, the language barrier has definitely um, caused some rifts. I think mainly at the grocery store, but, <laughs> um, but I think for the most part, uh, it's it's been fine. I, you know, I really think the, uh, the younger generation here, the young kids, they love basketball. Um, they're really enthusiastic. They come to, to our practices, to our games, and are cheering. And I think um, you know the community has been great. Uh, it just just a matter of our team. Hopefully, you know, we have four games left in the season and. Hopefully, we want to finish strong, but I think overall, there's a lot of pride here, and they love soccer, of course, but basketball as well. And I think hopefully the the league will t- continue to get better, and and uh, the fan support will continue to grow as well. Alex Rosenberg joins us on the phone. He plays for Maccabi Kiryat Gat. He plays basketball. He's originally from Milburn, New Jersey. Shout out to everyone in New Jersey who's listening right now. He made Aliyah last summer, and he's been playing basketball in Kiryat Gat since. There is um, there is this great basketball pride that's been going on and continues to grow, and you just celebrated Israel Independence Day. This is, I assume, your first Yom Ha'atzma'ut that you've ever got to celebrate while you're, while you know, in your lifetime in Israel. So tell me how that experience was for you. Yeah, that was great. Um, I know that the day before, I believe, was Memorial Day. Right. And um, so it was kind of like this day where, you know, you didn't really do much. Everyone, you know, what was with their respective families. And, and the following day was Independence Day, and I went to Tel Aviv and, and tried to get the full experience, and it was great. You know, everyone was just in great spirits. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was kind of like a similar to July 4th, of course, for us. And, um, but, you know, it's Tel Aviv, so they, they love to have a great time, and, and it was a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm, I think it's cool also, you know, living out here and experiencing the Jewish holidays like Passover and et cetera out here because it's not quite the same back home. Right. No, certainly certainly not. There's uh, It is a full full immersion kind of holiday, especially while you're in Israel. And I um, I completely understand where you're coming from. But also, that juxtaposition of Memorial Day, of Yom HaZikaron, going straight then into Yom HaTzmod, it's certainly also nothing that we've experienced here in the United States, that deep, that deep, profound sorrow, that 
that solemn day that goes, you know, that transitions at night into, you know, Tel Aviv into the party city that it is. So I'm sure that, you know, your almost full year living in Israel has been filled with numerous different experiences and and things that are unusual from just growing up in New Jersey. Is the, um, was that, that either Passover or, or this week with, were they the the most unusual thing you've experienced so far? Or are there some other instance since you have made Aliyah that stands out in your mind of like, wow, I'm really not in New Jersey anymore? Um, that's a great question. I think, I believe it was Yom Kippur. I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly which holiday, but there's one of the holidays where in Israel, you, you literally could not drive your car for like <laughs> two days. Right, yes. Like the, the team, so we had pra- we had practice. And the team said to, to all the Americans, you know, there's four of us, well, four besides me, they said, listen, guys, you have to, like, stay at home the next two days. And some of us are like, what are you talking about? Some of us are like, that's cool. I'll just sleep, whatever, no problem. But, um, yes, they're like, listen, it's a serious holiday. You can only walk uh, outside. And thankfully, we live near the beach. I live in Ashkelon. So, um, you know, it's nice here. But. Yeah, you couldn't really do anything, and you, nothing was open, no stores, nothing. So um, I, I think that, and also, I'm used to it now, but Shabbat in Israel, especially outside of Tel Aviv, um, everything closes down from uh, sun, I guess sundown right. uh, Friday to sunset Saturday. And um, especially in Ashkelon, the Kiryat area, it's very religious, so you don't see too many stores or restaurants open, and you kind of have to get your groceries and everything you need uh, prior to that. Right. So that's, I'm certain that that also took some kind of adjustment. Yeah. It's, um, Israel living is the real deal. So I'm, I'm actually very, very happy for you. I didn't realize that there were other Americans that you were on the team with. Yes. Uh, every team, um, has, has four Americans, at least four Americans and, uh, all of which who are, you know, have been very successful in their, in their basketball career, in the States, many have been in the NBA, many played at a high level uh, back in college or overseas somewhere. I mean, it's this league is competitive because as Maccabi Tel Aviv and a pull Jerusalem with Maurice Stoudemire. Right. So, you know, we, you see you see top talent every week. You know, we have a big game tonight, but um, every team has, has a tremendous amount of talent, and I think that's why the league is, has been good and it's getting better because you have tons of former NBA players and, and high-level players all around, so... Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of Americans out here. So I'm going to ask you the my my final and of course fangirl question: Have you played against Amari? I have. Yes, I played against him twice, and we he played the, we played them our final game of the season, uh, May fifteenth. It's it's uh you know it's it's one of those things where all my friends ask ask me about it. It's it's cool when you talk about it, but when you're on the court, <laughs> I'm sure not. You're just another player. Got it. You you have to. Yeah, you have to compete as you would, and I actually had a great game against in the second game, and and we didn't do. Unfortunately, we didn't get the win, but you know it was cool to to be on the court and and uh, and kind of just you know battle against a guy that's been so successful in his career. Right, the, the battle against a guy who just happens to be Amari Stoudemire. Exactly, Alex Rosenberg. I I thank yep. you so much for joining me. I hope you do. Uh, I hope you have guys have a great win tonight, and I hope you'll check back with us. You know, in a couple months. Let's see how you're doing. 
Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network, and we're continuing almost with our Israel theme. Susie Fishbein joins us. She is, of course, a returning guest here and a close friend of mine. Susie, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm I'm great, and I'm so happy to talk about hummus. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Hummus is taking over the world in a very big way. It's crazy. (laughs) It's just, I mean, it's it's crazy. I googled in, in advance of our conversation this morning, which is, of course, really about Michael Solomonoff from Zahav Restaurant in Philadelphia, who was just recognized by the James Beard Foundation, and also Mayor Adoni, who many people know um, as the as the star-rated chef in Israel, who was finally opening up a restaurant here in New York City. I mean, in advance of this bigger discussion, I went on Food & Wine uh, I went on their website because they also did a whole feature last month or two months ago on Israeli restaurants, like a full, complete feature. And Months ago, I don't know if it was Food and Wine or Bon Appetit, it was over, I think, maybe last summer, they had listed like the hot ingredients right. to watch for this year. And in a very short list, I think maybe it was 10 things, tahini and za'atar were two of the ingredients to watch. So you, you knew what was coming. You know, right. You, it's, it's been very obvious. First of all, you know it from being in Israel, just the explosion of restaurants, the, the raising of the bar of quality um, of, you know, of what the offerings are. And it came here, and it's really taken over. I mean, it really started with Einat Admoni. She was right. the, the belle of the ball of Israeli food in the New York scene on her own for a while, but she's definitely making room for some of her friends. And it's amazing that, I mean, I'm, I'm going to point out the obvious, that she's a woman. I mean, it's still a male-dominated field, as, as we see in so many situations, but yet we have this Israeli woman who came and, you know, took over New York. Well, it's funny you say that because even in Israel, it's dominated by men, but they're all influenced by women. Well, they're grandmothers. Even Israeli chefs that train outside. I mean, this is my this is Mayor's story. My culinary tour in Israel always makes a stop for a cooking class with Mayor Adoni. We've been doing that for four years. Wow. Everybody's smitten immediately. He is the most charming, delicious, adorable man. <laughs> um, really, really, just an incredible guy. I, I I'm so happy for his success. And he talks about how you know all the training he's done all over the world, but when he comes into his kitchen, he always carries his Moroccan grandmother on his shoulder. Right. And that influences a lot of what he decides to cook and how he cooks it. It's amazing. And also, Michael Solomonov speaks about that also, how um, he, he all the influences that he has from his grandmother and his mother. And just, again, you, you, you see this. I mean, it's an ongoing connection between Jews and food. It's like Italians and food. But still, there is that that almost like... I'm going to pay, I'm, I'm never going to forget where I came from. I'm paying deference to the people who put me in the kitchen in the first place. And I'm only a success because of them. A hundred percent, although where I would separate Italian chefs from these Israeli chefs is they're not only doing Israeli food. If you pull up that menu for Noor, not only is it decidedly not Israeli, it's not. It's Middle Eastern. Right. It's, not, it's not kosher for your listeners. I know right. so many people are going to be disappointed and shocked by that. Right, and, and Noor is the, is the restaurant. Noor is an Arabic word for light as well as a Hebrew word. And it's, this is decidedly not a, a kosher restaurant, and it's not an Israeli restaurant. Even his hummus, I mean, that was the first thing you brought up is hummus. His hummus is not a traditional hummus. It's a lima bean hummus. Um, you know, he brings in Israeli bagels, he makes gefilte fish, but he makes it out of shrimp. I mean, it's, it's such a, 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 a mush and a, and, a, and a compilation of every influence I think that he's ever 
had and what makes him so incredible. Like when, when I take my groups to, to his cooking classes, obviously people who come on a culinary tour are interested in culinary and wanting to go back to their kitchens and recreate recipes. So right. every place we go, people are taking copious notes or they're looking to me to take copious notes. When you're in a class with Mayor Adoni, you don't even dream about picking up a pen and a paper or that you're ever going to go home and make anything that he shows you because his recipes are so multi-layered and right. so complicated and have so many elements using ingredients you have never, that I had never heard of or seen, and he puts it together literally as a piece of art. One of the, one of the items he demoed for us, he literally put on a canvas, and people were afraid to come up and even eat from it. It was just That's cool. a, a work of art. He's, he's really just brilliant. So we should just mention that Noor is the restaurant, what we're referring to, Noor is the restaurant that Mayor Adoni has just opened up here um, in uh, the the. Flatiron District, actually, in New York City on 20th Street. And yes, we are we are mentioning the fact that the, the restaurant itself is not kosher, but we are still highlighting him as an Israeli chef. Michael Solomonov's restaurant, Zahav, in Philly is also not kosher. But if anybody has picked up his cookbook, which I personally have bought for numerous people as gifts and have only been thanked profusely, um, there is such a tribute at the beginning to his brother who died in the IDF. And to- he was a lone soldier, and he, he was killed right. by Hezbollah, I think, in 2003. And, they, mm-hmm. and his, his recognition of that, his inspiration from that, and his pride in, in his background is really so stirring. And you just look through the cookbook, and you know, 98% is stuff that you can easily translate into your home. Absolutely. I own that book as well. It's absolutely user-friendly for the home cook. Um, If a chef put out a book like the way that they cook in their restaurants, nobody would buy them because nobody could use them. (laughs) You write cookbooks so that people can go home and cook, unless it's a coffee table book in which you're just telling a story. But that that's, that's doesn't usually get, you know, might get critical acclaim, but it, it doesn't sell to the masses. He actually, Michael Salamanov also has um, a vegan restaurant called Goldie, which is a tribute to uh, Israeli falafel stands. Uh, there's no meat, there's no dairy. Uh, that's also in Philly. Um, but yeah, I don't think, he, uh, except for Citron and Rose, which is closed, right. you see in our kitchen, he's never done anything kosher. Mayor Adoni, half his career, half of his restaurants in Israel were not kosher and are now closed, and half of his restaurants are kosher and are doing incredibly well, but both I, Blue Sky and Lumina in the Carlton Hotel in Tel Aviv. But I think, I want you to know, by the way, when you mention the different layers of Mayor Adoni's cooking and his and his creations, I, when dining there about a year and a half ago, I took a picture of the the menu, just because while I'm literate, I completely didn't understand it. And I just wanted to like bring proof. Like this is, this is why he is who he is. This is the deal. Like this is why he is the real deal. You see this and you have no idea why a Caesar salad has 17 different components. But when you put it, when he puts it in front of you, when they serve it to you, you're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is just not your... This is not your Caesar salad. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, Michael Salmanov also participated in the the kosher um, exhibition, so to speak, at the South Beach Festival. Am I right? Yes, he was there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. These these guys do not shy away from the kosher world. They 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 love you know they love their the the Jewish people. They love the Israeli people. But 
you know, when it comes to business, it's who invests in your business, it's who opens your door. It's not a chef does not decide to open up a restaurant and turns the key and there's a restaurant. There is so much business. This has been a dream of Mayor Adoni for over ten years to open mm. up a restaurant in New York, and he initially did say it was going to be kosher. But I guess when the business of opening right. up a restaurant in the Flatiron District, where I can only imagine what the rent is, <laughs> he has to do what's what's going to you know what's going to pay the bills and what's going to pay their investors back. So. You know, no, no judgments on, on no, that. Um, and, not. and the truth is, the, the, the nachas that he's going to bring and the appreciation for what an Israeli chef can do, I think should, you know, be satisfying enough so that those of us that have to just be on the outside peering in <laughs> should, should still chef nachas from him and just really, really wish him tremendous success. He will absolutely be the bell of the ball. I am sure we're going to read a million incredible glowing reviews because I don't think people have seen the kind of creativity. I don't think that they've seen that even in Manhattan. I have to I have to go out on a limb and say I think even in Manhattan. It's just it's wild. It's art. So it's that same kind of pride that we that we took when the announcement was made this week that the James Beard Foundation had recognized Michael Solomonov and this this unbelievable. I mean, I have I have never met him. I you know I've I've read the cookbook seventeen times because for me it's a fairy tale. I can read it before I go to sleep and sleep well. <laughs> um, you, you have know. you seen In Search of Israeli Cuisine? That was his movie. I have. Mm-hmm. I have. Have you again? S- I left that being so disappointed that there was not a mention of a kosher item in Israel. That was my initial critique, but then in digesting the movie, I just thought it was beautiful, a beautiful tribute to right. a man who loves peace, who wants peace, who has Palestinian friends, who has Israeli friends, who just is all about food and having people enjoy food and toning down, you know, the rhetoric. The rhetoric. So once I was, you know, over my anger at, oh my God, how could you do a movie about Israeli food and not mention anything kosher, I, I really started to see it in a different way. No, I, I hear you completely. So that, that nachas, I mean, you felt it too, right? Which t- totally not deserved. I should not have nachas for his work, but I, I did. No, and I mean just, the, I mean the know, recognition. Like on Facebook and you see all the things, all, all, all the te- technological and medical advances that come from Israel and you do your fist pump. And it's like, well, I don't really own that nachas, but it is, there's a, like a Jewish pride right. that we have and, and an Israeli pride that we have. And these are guys who are making a beautiful shame toe for themselves, for Israelis, for Israeli chefs, for a level of professionalism. And that's incredible. I think there's also, I mean, we could talk about this forever, but I do think that this is also some kind of a, a, a it is it is an inadvertent political step towards just a, a better, you know, it's like good PR. It's like good, clean PR for, for Israelis, for, for Jewish food, for kosher cuisine. A hundred percent. And for years, the culinary world has known that. Um, the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America, over a dozen years ago, had invited Mayor Adoni in to be a guest lecturer to talk about modern Israeli cuisine before anybody, before Israelis were talking about modern Israeli cuisine. Chefs like um, Michael Cohn is an, a food ambassador and represents Israel all around the world in explaining what Israeli food is all around the world. That actually comes from the Israeli government, that they send, mm-hmm. they send guest artists, they send guest musicians, and guest chefs. For years this has been going on, before hummus became the hot topic. Um, <laughs> You know, they recognize that, you know, there, there's more than just, you know, uh, 
a concept of, of war in Israel. Right. There's an incredibly peace-loving, amazingly talented culture, p- family of people right. that have so much to share with the world. A hundred percent, Susie. I, I thank you as always for joining me. I wish I had a two-hour show when you come on because it's just never <laughs> enough time. <laughs> just, have a great day. Thanks thank you, Susie. Thanks so much. You've been listening to That's Life. We have just a few moments left and I'm sure that Avrami is going to be pulling up our song in the background because there's there's no better song I could feel to play to close a, close a there you go to close a show about Israel especially the week of Yom HaZikaron and Yom Atzmut then home by the Maccabees you've been listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network my thanks to Alex Rosenberg and to Susie Fishbein for joining us today in just a few moments we will begin the live lunch Nachum and I are here hopefully there will be very little fighting and a lot of talking about hummus but hey you ever, never know and of course a full afternoon of programming fills the lineup here at the Nachum Siegel Network don't miss a moment tomorrow morning JM and AM 6 to 9 AM hosted by Nachum Siegel Malcolm Holine joins in at 7.40 AM for the weekly update can't miss this week either because of course the un is up to no good don't want to miss malcolm and nachum 7:40 tomorrow morning and then of course naomi nachman at 9 a.m with a brand new episode of table for two rumor has it there's duck involved and then the kedem arab shabbos music mix takes you till candlelighting Motzei Shabbos, Motzei Shabbat of Rummy hosts Saturday Night Seagull starting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Tomorrow, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday morning, JM Sunday with Matis at 7 o'clock in the morning Eastern Time. We thank, we thank Matis for, of course, seamless production week after week of the of JM Sunday. We're going to finish with this song. We're going to close it out. Look forward to speaking to you all soon. Enjoy the weather, everybody. That's live, folks. Bye, guys.